Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Praise God. Some time ago, I did a lesson called the six D's to success. Six D's. I thought it's time to change that. Well, just to give something added to that, would be six important F's. So a D doesn't necessarily mean a bad grade. An F doesn't mean a bad grade either. Because these D's and F's will help us succeed in life. Look at James, if you wouldn't mind, chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. And here we have... James, the half-brother of our Lord, go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what, you sh what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? What a question. It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Wow. Now, James was addressing these Jewish Christians. They were businessmen. And they were boasting about what they were going to do. There was a lot of persecution that was taking place. And so they made up their minds. What they were going to do is what they were going to do. And go here and go there. Maybe stay there for a while. And then maybe live a year, maybe two years. We'll get, gain some profit by, by doing so. And then we'll move and go there. And then we'll go here and there and everywhere. Well, James has said, hold on just for a moment. There's two aspects to your life. There's the visible and there's the invisible. See, the vapor is talking about a boiling, you say, a pot of water on the stove where you see the vapor go up and then it disappears. He said, you see it for a short time, but then it's gone. You know, what's that about? Well, there's the visible, which you see, it's temporal. And then there's the invisible that you don't see, that's eternal. He is saying that this boasting is evil and sinful. By you basically leaving God out of the equation of your future is absolutely wrong. You, you shouldn't be saying, I'm going to do what I want to do and forget what God has to say about it. You should get the mind of God, he was saying, and then do what God wants you to do. That's how you have success. That's how you're going to be uh, victorious. You're going to complete something that God has ordained that you do. Because there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is a way of what? Death. The way of death. So to do it your way and not God's way is not the right thing to do. Now, here's a verse of Scripture for you graduates you could look at and really embrace. I recommend that you take it to heart and memorize it. Look at Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3. This is from the Amplified uh, Version, the classic version, not the new version. Roll your works upon the Lord and commit and trust them wholly to Him. Now, notice this. He will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to His will and so shall your plans be established and succeed. See, that's a powerful verse of Scripture. Uh, someone once said that walking with God is like playing chess or playing checkers. One moves and then doesn't move again until the next one moves. 
God moved and he gave us Jesus. And then we move by responding to Jesus and receiving him as our Savior. Then God moves and he saves us by his grace. And then we move by pursuing the Holy Spirit and getting filled with the Holy Ghost. And the list goes on and on and on. Well, we have to roll our works upon the Lord and trust them wholly to him. That's our move. See, draw nigh to me and I will draw nigh to you. So it's up to us to draw nigh to him, make our move so he can make his move and draw nigh unto us. But if we don't draw nigh to him, then how can he draw nigh unto us? So if I roll my works upon the Lord and trust them wholly to him, what did he say he would do? Cause my thoughts to become agreeable to his will so that my plans are established and succeed. So I have a move to make. I've got to do what he suggested that these businessmen do. Roll your works upon the Lord and say, if it be the Lord's will, or if it's God's will, then I will move, then I will go forward, then I will do this or that or the other thing. So we don't want to leave him out of the, the equation. We want to put God first. Now, having thus said, here are six important F's when it comes to our walk with God, serving God, and fulfilling his plan for our lives. Number one, the most important, the fear of the Lord. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 1 and verse 7, we are told the fear of the Lord is the beginning. Notice that word beginning. You can see this in the book of Psalms 111 as well, verse 10. I believe, I believe it says it this way. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The beginning is the same word in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So it's, in other words, this is the primary thing right here, the beginning. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In other words, we're not knowledgeable until we have the fear of the Lord. We're not wise until we have the fear of the Lord. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Uh, it's the sum total of everything. As a matter of fact, look at the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 12 and verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. In other words, this is the sum total of our walk with God. And there are those two words. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. In other words, it's the most meaningful thing anybody can do in life, and that is to fear God. When you lose reverential fear for God, then it's easy to walk away from the commandments of God. But when a person really fears God, then he doesn't say things like this anymore. I'll just go ahead and do it and God will forgive me later. We don't have that kind of a mindset or an attitude. You see what I mean? It's like, uh-uh, I'm staying away from that. It's a healthy fear. It's not an unhealthy fear. It's a constructive fear. It's not a destructive fear. As a matter of fact, we've learned the fact that healthy fear is useful as far as making right decisions in life. For example, I don't put my hand in a flame of fire. That wouldn't be healthy for me. Why? Because I fear what fire can do to my hand. It wouldn't set well with me. Uh, another thing would be electricity. I don't play with electricity because I know what it could do as well. You don't want to learn the hard way, the school of hard knocks. It could be damaging. It could be, actually, it could be destructive to the point of death if we don't handle electricity correctly. And then, by the way, for maybe any hikers out there, you don't mess with a grizzly bear's cub. Mm -mm. For fear of being mauled to death. Because they're very protective of their cubs, right? Absolutely. 
Well, those are healthy fears, but there's unhealthy and destructive fear as well. Just because I have a healthy fear of fire doesn't mean I don't use it. Just because I have a healthy fear of electricity doesn't mean I don't use it. That would be unhealthy. Now, as far as uh, having an unhealthy fear of a, of a bear, I, I, that would mean I wouldn't take a hike anywhere like in Brady's Run Park because I'm afraid of a bear. That's, that would be unhealthy. I just wouldn't mess with her cubs, you know. So it's important for us to recognize the fact that healthy fear will help us make right choices and decisions. Look in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 20. And Moses said to the people, fear not, for God has come to prove you and that his fear may be before your faces. Why? That you sin not. What prevents people from sinning? The fear of God being before our face. Do you remember Romans chapter 3 and verse 18 that tells us all the things Paul talked about in the first two chapters about people living life the way they want to live like in anarchy and just doing their own thing. If it feels good, do it. And he said, no, that's not the right thing. In verse 18 of chapter 3, he said, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Did you hear that? We can lose the fear of God. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So a healthy fear will make us make right choices and decisions. And a healthy fear of God will make us keep his commandments. But when a person loses sight of that, then... Once again, they just live the life they want to live the way they want to live it. And that's not what God would want. So the first F is to have the fear of God, cultivate it, develop it, maintain it, keep it ever before our faces. Why? Well, how about this statement that Jesus made in Luke's, I'm sorry, um, Matthew's gospel, I believe it was. He said, don't fear him that can kill the body. But fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Isn't that what he said? And I know we live in a time right now, a culture right now, that we just want to know just God is a God of love. And, and we thank God that he's a God of love and all that. But how many of you know he's still a God of justice and judgment? You know, when people just decide that they want to live their life the way they want to live their life, then I guess that's up to them. But if there's no fear of God before their face or before their eyes, they're just going to do what they want to do. And God doesn't matter. Let me just throw something out, if I may. If I, can I meddle just a little bit this morning? Our difficulty in the culture in which we live right now is to love people without condoning their behavior. Because the moment you say something like, well, that's not right, now you're a hater. No, no, no. I like to communicate this. I'm a lover. And I love you more than these other people that want to tell you that it's okay what you do and everything's going to be okay in the end. But like James says, no, your life is but a vapor that appears for a little while, vanishes away. And what you're doing right now is tempor temporal. And in the end, what you're going to do is eternal. I love you enough to tell you that this is what God said. God has a right to judge us, but he also has a right to govern us. And if he says it's wrong, who am I to say it's not? So how can I still love you if I don't condone what you're doing that's wrong? That's our difficulty. I still love you, but I can't condone what you're doing and say that it's right. And if me saying that it's not right by God's standard doesn't mean I hate you. 
Actually, it means I love you more than you can imagine. Because whatever you're denied here in this temporal life is going to produce gain for you when you leave this realm of life eternally. I don't want to see anybody suffer in a lake of fire forever. So it's our duty and responsibility to let people know what God says is law. What God says is right. Not wrong. It's right. So it's important that we, even as a church, recognize our need to do what? Let people know that we love them, but we also love them enough to tell them what's right and wrong. Do you remember the story of the uh, man that was living with his stepmother in 1 Corinthians chapter 5? Remember that? Now listen to the words. Paul says, I've already judged in this matter. What's the matter with you people? I've judged. This man has been spoken to. He's not changing. He thinks it's okay to have a relationship with his stepmother while his father is still alive. And he has no conviction whatsoever about it. But here's my judgment. You need to turn that man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. Is that all Bible? Did I just quote scripture? Absolutely. What, what does that mean? That they hate this man? No. They don't hate that man. Matter of fact, they want that man to get it right because they don't want him to be lost. Right? And so what happened to the guy? He was turned over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Why? Because the flesh is what was leading and guiding and directing the man's life. Exactly. He was taking him down a wrong path. So let's get rid of the flesh, so to speak. The man got sickly. He was probably to the point of death. Who knows? We don't have all the information about it. But we do know this. Because he was no longer interested in being with someone else, like his father's wife, he repented. Sincerely repented. And then got it right with God. And then in 2 Corinthians, you know, we get this. This man, they were considering whether or not they should even let him come back into the community of the church. And Paul said, no, no, you let him in. That man repented. He got his heart right with God. And now you let him back into the church. You can read it, study it. Okay, so what was, what some people might think, that's bad judgment. No, 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 Paul was judging correctly according to the word of God. He was letting that man know that, okay, if you want to live the life, you want to live against the laws of God, against the commandments of God, that's up to you. But you know what? We love you enough to turn you over to Satan for the destruction of your flesh because that flesh will take you straight to the lake of fire. And that's not hellfire brimstone preaching. What that is is good preaching because it's the truth. It's the truth. So the fear of the Lord is this. He's the one who has the power to send the body and soul to hell in his great judgment. So what do we want to do out of the fear of the Lord, which is the sum total of our lives and why we live, is to fear him and keep his commandments. Amen? So that's my advice to all of us, especially our young people that are going off into the... When you go off into college, you're going to find yourself in a different atmosphere, different environment. Your next thing is your faith. Number two, F, is your faith. Your faith is going to be challenged. When you get into a secular college and you hear some secular teaching, you've got the mindsets of different people, you are going to be challenged miserably. Your faith is going to be challenged. You know, you're going to be the oddball, so to speak. Because you stand up for the things of God. But look here in the book of, you know this verse, Ephesians 2.8. For by grace are you saved 
through your mother's faith, through your father's faith, through your grandfather's faith, through your grandmother's faith, through your aunt's faith, through your pastor's faith. What translation do you have? For by grace are you saved through what? Whose faith? Your faith. You can't go on somebody else's faith. And your faith will be challenged in the college setting. It will. It's all there is to it. And you're going to have teachers that are going to tell you that God doesn't even exist. You're going to have some atheists and everything else. You will be challenged to the core as far as your faith is concerned. So, boy up your faith. Get strong in your faith. Know what you believe. Know who you believe in. Know the truth for yourself. You've studied it, you know the Bible, you know the Word of God, that it's true, and you, get, you develop your own personal faith in God. Now, that's for our eternal well-being, the invisible. But what about the temporal? What about the visible well-being of ours? God has our best interest at heart. And He has a plan for your life and for my life, praise God, that it's going to take faith to walk in. So, by faith, I have to believe that what God's ordaining for me to do is in my best interest. Remember Abraham? He was living in the Ur of the Chaldees. And God said, it's time for you to pack your bags and go. Right? So what did he do? By faith, the Bible says in Hebrews, he left the Ur of the Chaldees to find a city and builder whose maker is God. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who build it. So he marches on and he goes out. Who knows to where? He's taken one step at a time by faith in God who has a good plan for his life, for good, not for evil, to give him a future hope. And what about it? Did God come through? Absolutely, he sure did. And so as far as he is concerned, praise God, you know, he obeyed God by faith. It took faith to do that. I look at myself. I look at my own life. I was working in a mill. And in that mill, I was working seven days a week, six days, sometimes seven days, and doubles. Doubles. That's how much work we had back then in the steel industry. I was making probably more money than people that made the, that got out of college. Back then, that's how it was. And so I had no concern as far as that, you know, in my life. Had a good job, had good benefits, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So when God said to leave your Ur of the Chaldees, Youngstown, Ohio, and go to a city and builder who, whose maker is God, Tulsa, Oklahoma, it took faith to step out and do that because I had everything going for me at that time. And I thought, this is lunacy. But I stepped out and did it. It takes faith to navigate one step at a time. And God doesn't give you the whole picture. You just know that where you're going and what you're doing is where God wants you to be at that time. That is called being in the perfect will of God. Some people think that the perfect will of God is having it all unfold before you, like blueprinted out. No, it's one step at a time. And you take that step, and it shows that you're obedient to do what God wants you to do. And it takes a step of faith to do that. So when you step out in this faith, and you start, whether it's your college or whatever, maybe it's a career, stay there and know that you're in the will of God, and then keep a listening ear for what God would have you do next. But it takes faith. And the third thing is focus. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 51, it takes focus. Notice this. It came to pass, when the time was come, that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now here, it's important to understand that 
that verse that actually came, that quote came from Isaiah 50 and verse 7. And in that verse, it says he set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. That means he had an unwavering determination to fulfill the purpose that the Father had for his life and ministry. And so when the time came for him to go to Jerusalem to be crucified, he set his face, his focus. He was completely focused on the end game. This is what I came here for. This is what I am to do. And so it's important to recognize the value of staying focused because you're going to be challenged along the way. Everybody's going to be challenged along the way. No matter what your uh, step is, what your career is, we have to stay focused. And don't let the distractions come in and pull us away from what God would have us to do. Now, the Apostle Paul understood that. As a matter of fact, here's how he said it in Philippians chapter 3. We got to keep our eyes on the prize. Jesus kept his eyes on the goal set before him. The joy that was set for, before him was after he sacrificed his life, there would be many brethren born into the kingdom. Paul says it this way, not as though I've already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may be app apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, to stay focused, we've got to learn to forget things behind, and I've got to reach forth into the things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Take it into the spiritual realm. Our Christian walk is challenged every day. The devil hates us. He wants to destroy us. He wants us to find a place in the lake of fire with him. So we have to stay focused. There's a prize set before us. If you're out there and you're thinking that this is meaningless, you know, I'm just living my life, going to church, giving my tithe, all that stuff. If it's mundane to you, then there's something wrong. There needs to be a fire ignited within on the inside once again. There needs to be refocusing. We've got to focus on the fact that there is still a prize. The high calling of God in Christ Jesus is a prize that we all should have our eyes focused on. This is what I'm looking for. This is temporal. That is eternal. And so no matter what I encounter down here upon this earth, I need to focus on the eternal first and foremost. Now, let's break it now back down into this realm here. Nobody suffered other than Jesus like the Apostle Paul did. The Apostle Paul was whipped with the cat of nine tails, what, three times or two times or five times? I forget now. <laughs> A lot. <laughs> he was beaten with rods three times. Imagine that. He was left for dead stoned. He was left a night and a day in the sea. You know, you could read that and think, oh, that's no big deal. Really? Anybody here want to volunteer for being a night, overnight in the sea? Maybe a, with a piece of driftwood or something like that? I don't know. But he had to stay focused. As a matter of fact, when the angel came when, the when they were on that ship and it was about to go down and they all thought they were going to die, the angel gave him focus, said, Paul, you haven't gone to see in Rome, you know, to see the governor yet. You can't die. Focus on that. So we need to stay focused when it comes to our eternal well-being and stay focused when it comes to what God wants us to do here on this side of heaven. Stay focused. Keep your eye on the prize. And that brings us to someone else that uh, 
I may maybe dating myself, but anybody here know the name Arnold Palmer? Palmer? Arnold Palmer? Anybody here? Anybody don't? I should say that. Anybody don't know who that what that name? Nikki, you don't know. He was a professional golfer, who was a very successful professional golfer. In 1961, they called him Arnie. He felt that he had the uh, masters in the back his back pocket. It was the last hole. He was ahead by one stroke. He had a great tee shot. And it was a perfect position for him to go on and win the Masters. When he got to where his ball was, you know how the crowd of people were always on the sidelines and all that? This one fellow who was a close friend of his motioned to him to come over. So he walks over, shakes his hand, starts talking to him. And he said, the moment I did that, I knew I lost my focus. He went back to where his ball was. He hit the next shot in a sand trap. And then he overshot the green on the next one and lost the masters. And he said these words. He said, I will never do that again. And he says, and I haven't for 30 years. He didn't. He lost his focus. He was right on, right on the edge, just right there, ready to win the masters. But you see, he knew that losing focus, you got to stay focused. So we have to fear God. We have to live by faith. We have to stay focused and then have this next one in our hearts too. finish what we start. Finish what we start. It's not going to be easy, but make a determination that what you start, you're going to finish. Look in Luke's gospel. Look at what it says here. Jesus teaching. For which of you intending to build the tower sits not down first and counts the cost, whether he has sufficient to finish it? Lest happily after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Nothing is more important than completing the work that God gives us to do. As a matter of fact, our model, our example, Jesus said in John 17 in verse 5, verses 4 and 5, you can put them together and read them. He says, I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. Now glorify me with the glory that I had with thee from the beginning. And that's exactly what took place during his coronation. But notice, even Jesus himself said to the Father, I have glorified you on this earth. You want to glorify God on the earth? By completing the work that you gave me to do. He didn't say by completing the work that you gave Peter to do, that you gave John to do, or that you gave this one to do or that one to do. I completed the work that you gave me to do. This is what you've called me to do. We need to get our eyes off of someone else and what God has called them to do. No matter what it is that your call is, that's what he's called you to do. And we don't judge ourselves by somebody else's calling. If you do that, you're going to lose sight of what your call is. You're going to compare yourself to somebody else, and that's not the right thing to do. God called someone to do something else because they have the, either the skills, the abilities, or the gifting to do uh, what he calls them to do. He will give them the divine enablement to do whatever it is that he wants them to do. 
He knows our abilities. He knows our limitations. He knows our strengths. He knows our weaknesses. And see, whatever it is that he calls us to do, he knows that we are called to do it. We're equipped to do it. We're anointed to do it. We're appointed to do it. And we can do it. And even though we'll be distracted along the way, we have to have this resolve, that I will finish the work that God has called me to do. I did a lesson, this is probably a long time ago, been a while, called uh, Quitters, Climbers, and Campers. Anybody remember that one? Quitters. When the going gets tough, they quit. All the whatever comes their way. The criticisms, the critical attitudes and all that, they just quit. Easy thing to do. Then you've got the climbers. They climb the mountain so high and they stop there. They, the, the camp, I'm sorry, the campers. They climb so high and they camp there. So they've uh, achieved some of what God has called them to do. And there's some characteristics there as well. But the climber says, uh-uh, I'm going all the way to the top of that mountain. I just re recently saw on TV an advertisement for West Virginia, almost heaven, you know, West Virginia. I don't want to leave that out. And this person was a rock climber, mountain climber, in this one stretch of rock that was almost straight up, and I can't even see how in the world he got up there. He wasn't a quitter, and he wasn't a camper. I call him a crazy climber. <laughs> I can see climbing the Mount of God. Did you ever notice that when it comes to biblical illustrations, a lot has to do with sporting activities? Paul says, I'm, I'm not boxing to beat the air. And he said, I don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So now we got boxing and wrestling. He shoots the arrows straight. Now we got archery. Right? And I'm going to make you a fisher of men. We've got fishing. We've got mountain climbing. We've got running the race. We've got athletics. We've got mar marathons. And we've got, you know, track meets and all that. Olympics. Think about it. So it's important that we recognize that, look, we're either going to be among the quitters, the campers, or the climbers. And when it comes to the things of God, what do we want to be? A climber, a finisher. So whether it's uh, you're starting college, be a finisher. When you get married, be a finisher. Your walk with God, be a finisher. Paul said these words, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I have kept the faith. Can you see that? So there you go. Now you've got the finishers. And this next one is, well, before I even get to that, look at anybody. I'm really going to date myself. Anybody here remember Paul Harvey? Anybody don't know who Paul Harvey is? Nikki? Probably, you know. I didn't think you would. So. You know, the, he was a radio broadcaster, and he, he was good. His big line was, now you know the rest of the story. So he gave you just a little bit up front, but then he gave you the rest of the story. He was asked to deliver a message for graduates at the high school level. Here's what he said. These are just statements that he made. Life is not fair, so get used to it, he's telling these high school graduates. If you're looking for fair, don't look for it in the world, because the world's not going to be fair to you. Can anybody say amen to that? Amen. So, don't, so get used to it. Secondly, if you think your teacher was tough, wait till you get to a, a boss and find out what your boss is like. Thirdly, if you mess up, it's not your parents' fault. So don't whine about your mistakes. Just learn from them. 
Can't blame mom and dad anymore. I love this next one. Before you were born, your parents weren't as boring as they are now. They got that way, paying your bills and cleaning your room. Mm, pretty good insight. Life is not divided into semesters. You don't get summers off, and very few employers are interested in helping you find yourself. Do that on your own time. So there's some advice from Paul Harvey. Now you know the rest of the story. Number five, failing doesn't mean you're a failure. How many biblical characters do we know failed at one time or another? What about Noah after the flood? Failed. What about Abraham when he uh, said that Sarah was his sister and not his wife? Told a half-truth there. Uh, do we have to talk about David committing adultery and murder? I would say he failed. And Samson, we know about Samson. You know, he just uh, caved in and failed God by giving away the secret to his strength. And then you got Peter who denied the Lord. And the list goes on and on as far as biblical characters are concerned. But how many of you know that God can take a situation and turn it around? Because he knows our frame. He knows we're fearfully and wonderfully made, but he also knows our frame. He knows we're but flesh. He knows that, which, which is why he made provision by the blood of Jesus to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we confess our faults and sins and shortcomings. Okay. Well, in this world in which we live, we got others that failed but weren't considered failures. And here is the resume of Abraham Lincoln. In 1831, he failed in business. 32, he defeated, it was defeated for legislator. In 33, he failed again in business. In, eight, in 35, his fiance died. In 36 of 1800s, he had a nervous breakdown. Hmm, wow. 38, he was defeated for Speaker of the House. 1850, his son died. 1855, he was defeated for Senate. 1856, he was defeated for Vice President. 1858, he was defeated for Senate again. And in 1860, he became the President of the United States. Wow. Just because you failed, that was more than once, doesn't mean you're a failure. You stay with it. You stick to it. You have this mindset of a, of a climber. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to camp. I'm going to climb. I'm going to go all the way. I'm going to fulfill the purpose that God has for my life. I'm going to follow the footsteps of Jesus. Well, once again, thank God for his success as become, becoming the president. And then finally, number six. And I want to put this in its proper context. Family is a priority. Family. You heard Tammy just saying today, teary-eyed because her daughter has left. Not for good, not forever, but just geographically right now for a time. Why? Why such love, connection, desire? Why? Family's everything. To God, family is everything. Do you realize that we are the family of God? And do you realize that God wanted a family? And do we realize for him to achieve the goal of having a family took all that Jesus had to do to achieve that goal? 
From the very beginning, all God wanted was for the man he created to set his love back on him and be a part of his royal family throughout eternity. But he failed to do what God wanted him to do. The first Adam failed miserably. And as a result of his fall, the whole world that God created went into a state of chaos. Man's spirit was separated from God. His soul lost the knowledge of God. His physical body became what? Mortal or subject to death. And God doesn't deal with death. He's, not, he's alive forevermore. He doesn't die. The, be, the beings that he created, he didn't want to die either. But he told them, if you partake of that, you're going to die. And so they died spiritually, mostly, physically. All three realms of man's existence was marred by death. But God so loved the world, and if I could add this to it, and God so wanted a family. See, we have yet begun to understand who we are. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, Now are we the sons of God. Jesus went to the cross knowing he would give birth to many sons and daughters of the living God. God wanted a family. And it took for all these 4,000 years of of human history and, and Israel becoming a nation and, and bringing in the Messiah. And then it took a death on Calvary's cross, a horrific death that he suffered and died so that he was the first begotten from the dead that he would give birth. Praise God, by his sacrifice, the Spirit of God would give birth to sons and daughters after him so God the Father could have a family. Why? Because he's a father. And fathers want children. He wanted a family. All that love was poured out for you and me. No wonder it says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that we could believe on him and have eternal life. And in the sacrifice that he made, guess what? We could be born again and become that child of God. We can renew our minds to the word of God to think the way our Father wants us to think. And then our physical bodies one day are going to be glorified so that we can be in his presence in the glorified state and live and reign with him throughout the eternal ages. It's all about family. And God the Father, being a loving, caring, heavenly Father, set the standard and set the example for all of us. And you're ready for this? Look at this verse in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12. The first four commandments talk about a man's relationship with God, his interaction with God. I am God. No strange gods before me. No graven images, number two. Don't take my name in vain and remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, the first four commandments. Deal with our relationship with God. Number five. Honor your employer. No. Honor your gaming buddy. No. no. Honor, hold in the highest esteem your father and your mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee is the first commandment with the promise. That it may be well with you and you live long on the earth. Well, you say, well, what's that got to do with it? Uh, well, let me just give you a little hint. Look at Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 9. For everyone that curseth his father or his mother shall be surely to be invited to a wonderful picnic party. <laughs> shall be what? What, what? Oh, 
put to death. He that cursed his father or his mother, his blood shall be upon him. Does that put a little bit of fear of God into any of us? Does that make us want to get it right with our father and mother no matter what? As long as it's in our power and ability to do so, we should live at peace with all men. Now, when I talk about stay close to your family, I'm not staying geographically. I'm talking about here from the heart. Love your mom and dad from your heart. Love your church family from your heart. Love the family of God from your heart. This is what it's all about. It's all about family. We're part of the family of God. And guess what? We all have the same father. We all have the same Savior. We all have the same Holy Ghost. We all, the, all have the same ministry of angels ministering for us. We all have the same word of the living God. We all have the same redemption and redemptive rights. We all have the same future with him in eternal glory. We have all things equal, every single one of us, because we're in Christ. And in him are all the fullness of the blessings of the gospel. And so there's no reason for anybody to be jealous of anybody within the body of Christ because we have all things equal. And once again, I want to, uh, well, let me just try to conclude. There's nothing more important than fulfilling God's plan for our lives, but you've got to know the plan before you can fulfill the plan. Your life has two aspects to it, the visible, the invisible. We want to secure the invisible by making Christ our Savior, our Lord, focusing on Him, finishing our walk with Him, uh, realizing we may fail along the way, but that doesn't mean we're failures. Pick yourself back up, get cleansed by the blood of Jesus, and move on forward with God. Um, and hold the same attitude toward family as he does, the family of God. And when it comes to your natural family, I'm not talking geographically, but in your heart. Appreciate who your parents are. I understand there are some that would say, but I didn't have good parents. I understand that. But you know what? If all you can say is that my dad has nice teeth, then say it. If all you can say is my mom's a great cook, then you know what? Then say it. Hold your family dear in your heart. You know what? There... Can you bring up Leviticus 20? I, I quoted, all right, we have verse 9 there again. Can you read like the, just put up the next so many verses, maybe three or four verses. How many are there? Yeah, Leviticus chapter 20. Uh, yeah, okay. Is that the end of the chapter? 12? Okay. There should be a couple more, I think, after the, that. And why am I doing this? Because we're not God. We don't have a right to govern ourselves. Is that the end of the chapter? Let's read this. And the man that commits adultery with another man's wife. Back it up to verse 12 again. Yeah, it, 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 we, we don't have a right to govern ourselves. Would you, can you say amen to that? Amen. We're not smart enough. Okay. 
If a man lies with a... Okay, this is starting at verse 12. Hmm? Okay, I don't want to go that far, but what, what does verse 10 say? The man that commits adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall be surely put to death. Wow. And the man that lies with his father's wife and uncovers his father's nakedness, both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Next one. If a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have wrought confusion. Their blood shall be upon them. Next one. If a man also lie with mankind as he lied with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. You know why? There... Okay, if a man take a wife and her mother, it is wickedness. They shall be burnt with fire, both he and they, that there be no wickedness among you. Stop right there. Did you read that? The burning with fire is after they're dead. They stone them to death, and then they would burn their bodies with fire. And that's why people thought that this God that we serve is some mean old ogre. Uh, no, he's not. But you see, we live under grace. And you know what grace means? We've got time to get it right. That's what it means. So how do I love someone, let's say from the gay community, enough to say, I love you. But I love you enough to inform you. That's God's position. If that wasn't God's position, it wouldn't be my position. I'm not God. You're not God. That's what he wrote. That's what he said. In the New Testament, it's echoed. It says in Romans chapter 1 the same thing, that it's an abomination to him. And once again, there's no fear of God before their eyes. I'm not just saying that. We're talking whether it's fornication, you know, we're talking even heterosexual relationships, out of wedlock. I mean, the list goes on and on. This is God's position. But in the New Testament... Maybe we're just not preaching it from the pulpit enough for people to hear and understand. Okay? I actually had some people actually say to me, I never knew that was in the Bible. I said, well, then you need to read your Bible. You know what grace means? It's the same attitude that God had back then toward it. But grace means you've got time to get it right. Did you ever miss a car payment? Unknowingly say you missed a car payment. There's what is called a grace period. Aren't you glad for the grace period? It gave you time to do what? Get it right. Did you ever write out a check and maybe there wasn't enough money to cover it, you didn't realize it? And there, maybe you'd get a call from your bank and just say that, you know, this isn't covered. Here's a grace period. Take time to get it right. That's what grace is. It doesn't mean that he thinks differently toward that. It just means you've got time to get it right. I've got time to get it right. How many of you are thankful to God that he gave us time to get it right? <laughs> I mean, really, aren't you glad? No matter who we are. But I think all our culture needs to hear the truth. And we owe it to them to give them the truth. But speak the truth in not hatred. And it's not hatred. So here's our dilemma once again. You young people that's going off into college, this is going to be your position. 
I love you enough to tell you the truth. I don't hate you. I love you. I love you more than you realize. I love you more than you know. All the issues, even when it comes to abortion, all the issues, it's not you hate people. You love them enough to let them know this is God's position. You know, a, a life is at conception considered a life. And abortion is considered murder. Thou shalt not commit murder. You know, you don't do that. Now, if you have had an abortion, you're loved by God. He cares about you. We care about you. It's not pointing a finger of judgment. It's letting you know how much you're loved by God. And he wants to heal the broken heart and bind up all the wound and everything. That's what our, our dilemma is to try to communicate that love or that truth in love. It's not hatred. It's not bigotry. It's nothing like that at all. It's loving that man who was cohabiting with his stepmother and letting him know that God doesn't approve of this, but he loves you enough to turn your flesh over to the devil for its destruction so you can be saved in the day of the Lord. And he got saved, or he rededicated his life. The world needs to know the truth. And it has to come from here. Can you say amen? amen. Let's all stand. Hallelujah. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So, in conclusion, let's throw up our last verse. God wants us to fulfill the life mission he's called us to. He wants all of us to do his will. And whatever he's called us to do is unique to ourselves. When he said for me to be the pastor of this church, I didn't know what that would entail 43 years ago. You know, I didn't know that we'd be here on the hill 43 years later. Or Actually, it was from 79 to 84, five years later than so many years here. Just do what he's called you to do, okay? But how? Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Where's trust come from? The heart. We don't lean on what? Hmm. In all our ways, we acknowledge him. And what will he do? You notice it seems unfair, but we had to make three moves before he made one. Trust him with all of our heart. Don't lean on understanding. All our ways acknowledge him. And what will he do? Direct our paths. In other words, you make your move toward God. And God will make a move towards you. So no matter who, what, where, when, why, or how, we're all in the same boat, aren't we?